The Kern Institute Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. I'm Dr. Jeff Amundsen. Welcome to Medic, a podcast from the Kern Institute where we talk about medical education in countryside communities. At the Kern Institute, we'd like to emphasize character, caring, and excellence in medical education. In particular, we'd like to talk about character in terms of wisdom, specifically practical wisdom, but more on that later. For now, suffice it to say, it takes time for wisdom to develop, and the time frame is often marked by transitions in life. As we transitioned from winter to spring, we took some time to interview clinicians Dr. Ellen Schumann and Michelle Montgomery to hear about their transitions to retirement and after retirement and the wisdom they have gained through their journey in becoming doctors and helping others become doctors. Take a listen. We hope you enjoy this episode of Medic. Welcome to another episode of Medic, Medical Education in Countryside Communities, where we have conversations about educating future physicians in smaller rural areas. I am Dr. Jeff Amundsen. Our co-host today, Dr. Anita Bubik anderson is unable to join us as she is currently educating future physicians, but we have the great pleasure today of being joined by Dr. Ellen Schumann. Welcome, Ellen. Thank you, Jeff. So, Ellen, you are a clinical faculty on the MCWCW campus, and you're major role is clerkship director. Of course, you do a lot for the campus, but uh, just kind of wanted to get your story today about what it's been like because, you know, you're preparing for retirement, as I understand, and um, Mm -hmm. that's a big, big transition in life. So before you transition, I thought it'd be awesome to have a conversation with you about how you got to the MCW campus and some of the things you've experienced being on a smaller, more rural campus and what that means to educating physicians. So yeah, how did you, how did you end up at uh, MCWCW? Uh, because I flunked retirement. <laughs> yeah, really, I had retired already, um, mostly due to the fact that I had a difficult recovery from a knee replacement and decided it was a good time breaking my career. I needed to devote full time to trying to get better and had tried that for a while. And I w- realized I was got as far as I was going to get and uh, did a lot of contemplation while I was on a vacation looking at the ocean down in the Caribbean and realized that I had more to give, more to do, and that it was time for me to find something else to do. So I had um, done some volunteer teaching on a very limited basis on the campus. And uh, shortly after returning from that vacation, was invited to come to a faculty meeting and people were talking about, boy, we really need a quick director. And I'm like, what's a quick director? And they said, oh, quick, you know, the Central Wisconsin Integrated uh, Clerkship. And I said, what is that? And uh, they gave me a job description and I applied the next day, got interviewed the next week and boom, it was me. Yay. (laughs) Yay. That's how I got here. (laughs) But um, actually, um, I spent all of my professional career here in the Wausau area. Um, I came here to a multi-specialty group clinic as a pediatrician, and I chose to come to Wausau because of its location. I wanted to be somewhere where I could do everything I had been trained to do. Um, So I still wanted to be able to go to the delivery room, 
get called to the emergency room, you know, manage critically ill children, but maybe not take care of them for the whole hospital stay and and still have a full office based practice. And uh, that's what attracted me to to Wausau. I didn't want to uh, be cut off from doing that hospital or emergency work. So that's how I started here. And and, um, my career uh, morphed as I went through, much to my Mm -hmm. great surprise. I uh, started getting involved in leadership within my uh, group very early on. I uh, spent a lot of time in leadership and went and got um, a special leadership training, um, including eventually going back and getting a master's degree in organizational leadership and quality. Then uh, a new hospital was built in our town, as you know, that was then uh, put up by Ministry Healthcare, the former St. Clair's Hospital. Um, And I had the opportunity to become one of the medical directors for that hospital. That was the first digital hospital opened up in the state of Wisconsin. So it was a very new startup experience. Mm -hmm. And uh, I jumped at that. In order to do that, I eventually had to give up my office practice and move to just doing continuing pediatric hospital work. Uh, but mostly administrative work. And as time went by, um, I ended up actually jumping ship and instead of being contracted to the hospital system Mm -hmm. for my clinic, we flipped because I felt that um, what I was interested in doing, you know, what my Mm -hmm. ideals of what I was marching towards match better with that organization. And I was uh, then contracted back to the clinic to do some hospital work. They subsequently decided not to rehire me Um, the next year. And so I went completely into hospital administration and had a chance to not only work at St. Clair's, but also at Good Samaritan and Merrill, which, you know, is even more smaller, more rural, smaller rural community and be involved there in a lot of patient safety uh, initiatives. I was involved as the director of um, the administrative lead for pharmacies in both locations and learned a lot about rural health care I had no idea about. Um, and so, and, and then I uh, became the chief medical information officer, actually, for ministry health care for all the hospitals in the northern area, which had me out and about in this whole mm-hmm. region and also learned a lot about hospitals, which I had heard names of before, but yeah. never knew anything about. So that's kind of where I where I came from when I, when I retired is that I had extensive contacts all throughout North Central Wisconsin, had worked alongside of a lot of people for many years, not just a pediatrician, but also as a, um, a leader in both medical group and also in hospitals. And so in some ways, I was perfectly prepared for this job opportunity. Um, when I read the job description, it was like, whoa, I said, it looks like it was written for me. Because this job was actually another variety of a startup. And startups are what attract me. I, I like startups. I was just going to um, say, there's a, there's a similarity there with, you said, mm-hmm. the first digital uh, hospital in the state. Mm-hmm. Yeah, then, yeah. So I'll let you finish. I want to pl- pick a little bit more about how that's been an asset on the, uh, to you on this campus. But yeah. 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 So um, this is another start- startup opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was um, challenged by it. it mm-hmm. uh, I met with um, leadership. I really enjoyed meeting both Dr. Dodson and Dr. Jake Pernusky. Okay. Um, felt I could work with them. And uh, I asked my favorite question, which is my always my question when I take a new job. Okay. So if I find something that needs to be done and I have the resources to get it done, can I just go do it or do I have to go through a whole mm-hmm. bunch of people? Mm-hmm. And when I get the answer, no, you can just go ahead and do it. Then I'm like, okay, I'm in. Gotcha. <laughs> um, right. And that was pretty much the answer I got was that um, we want you to get to here. You figure out how yeah. to get there 
and you ask for help when you need it, we're here for you. But we respect that you have a lot of experience to share, that you have a lot of connections to bring to bear. Right. And uh, just go, you know, go do it. And they gave me an excellent partner. Um, our, at that time, the education coordinator who worked with me, we were kind of like a pair. She was my right-hand person, sure. um, Heather Ross. And between the two of us, we just set out to reach reach our final goal and took it day by day, step by step, and uh, got there. So, so, what do you what do you think in terms of those commonalities we mentioned has been like something that has shown you the light into getting to those kinds of uh, points that you set for yourself uh, to achieve? So, you know, what is it about maybe that again the digital hospital and this new campus that you know said, okay, this is a similarity, a tool, or a similar skill I've utilized. That can get me to where I want to be now on this new startup situation. Yeah, I think it's the ability to um, create something new or something that hasn't really mm. been done before, and to bring to bear information that I've learned in my past lives and past roles yeah. to apply it to a new situation and continue to advance um, with using my skills and developing my skills. Um, the thing that also fascinated me or excited me about uh, the position here at MCW in uh, Wausau was that I had always wanted to teach. As a matter of fact, there was a time um, in my early 50s where I was getting a little bit um, disheartened, jaded with medical practice as it was yeah. going. And my plan at that time was, you know, I'm going to retire at 55 and go teach in the local Catholic school system as a as a substitute. So, you oh, know, that <laughs> kind of didn't end up there. But um, I always wanted to teach. We had a um, the UW Madison Medical School had reached out to us and we became yeah. a teaching campus for them for clinical rotations for their pediatrics um, clerkship. So that got us some contact with medical students, and I really enjoy that. I never thought I'd have the opportunity to teach, you know, in medical school and not have to leave my my hometown. That was the that was the real big change because right. I was not going to move to Madison or to Milwaukee to look for those experiences. That's so for me, the hospital, the medical school, um, showing up here in Wausau uh, opened up big doors for me too. Not just for the students that come here, but yeah. also for me as a basically someone who had been active as a clinician and as an administrator um, to uh, have a chance to uh, learn more about medical education. That's fantastic. Hopefully a lot of our audience members can relate to that. Maybe they're thinking about, you know, delving into the education component of medicine and that's inspire hope inspiring to them that they they can find opportunity uh, even on the smaller campuses. So, you know, we talk in medicine nowadays, especially at Medical College of Wisconsin in, in the Kern Institute in particular about character and the character traits. And you mentioned yours of creativity. I'm wondering how that you know, creativity trait has helped you in your role as clerkship director, you know, also having those connections, as you mentioned, it, it, is it a challenge to find clerkships? Maybe just kind of fill me in on what, what, what that really involves and maybe how the, like you said, the creativity okay. has helped with that. So I think the thing that was novel for us is the type of clerkship that we set up. So just for people who don't know, the clerkship year is the year that you do your basic, get out there and learn how to be a doctor in all the basic you know, parts of medicine, surgery, internal medicine, pediatrics, family medicine, et cetera. 
and it lays your clinical foundation upon which you build everything else. And it gives you a chance to sample all the different kinds of medicine and find out what does this field do? What are the people like? What kinds of problems do they solve? And it helps you informing, you know, the decision about, oh, I want to be an ENT surgeon or, you know, I want to go be a neurologist. So it kind of helps you um, make those life those life decisions. Typically, in most schools, the clerkship year is set up as a, a series of rotations where you spend yeah. a block of time in each topic. And then when that time is up, you leave it and go and start in the new one. And you may be moved to different hospitals for that, different towns for that, um, with different people. And mm -hmm. um, so there's a lot of changes there. What's different about our campus is that Dr. Dodson made the choice that we were going to do this new, you know, exciting thing called an integrated clerkship, uh, yeah. which I had never heard about before. And to tell you the truth, the first time I heard about it, I was like, eh, I'm not sure right. that's going to work, but right, we're going right. to try it. Yes. Um, now I'm a big proponent. And I'm convinced that it works very well. Great. So the difference here is that um, we actually apply some adult learning principles that come from science. Mm -hmm. Isn't that a good idea? Yeah. 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 Um, that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, which we should be modeling all along, right? Um, so we take the concepts of um, interleaving and space learning, and we say you'd have long-term retention that's far superior if you space your learning. So you learn yep. about something, you leave it, you set it aside, and you come back to it in the future. You might have to review a little bit to catch up to where you were, yep. but then you move on from there and on and on. That's harder cognitively, yep. but it's better for your long-term retention, right? Yep. And the other concept is interleaving. So as opposed to only doing one topic at a time and then leaving and never coming back to it, you do more than one topic at a time mm -hmm. so that you're able to weave together the information that you're learning. So I always like to think of it as like you're developing your cognitive tree. And yeah. as you're you're doing this space learning, this interleave learning, you're growing all these branches and leaves and you're filling out this beautiful oh, tree image. instead of this spindly little Charlie Brown Christmas tree thing. <laughs> you've got this yes. lush, rich, beautiful that's... tree that there's all kinds of shade and there's birds and animals in it. And you know, you know, so that's that's the difference, I think. And the yeah. other thing that it does is that um, it forces you to become responsible for your learning. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's what yeah. physicians have to do for their whole career. Right. Because as soon as we get through all of our training, we're responsible for staying up to date on all of the knowledge that we need to practice safely. Right. Yeah. And so this encourages you from the beginning to realize I have to take responsibility for what I'm doing. I need to go out and get this. I don't understand this. I need more work on this. I need another opportunity to learn this. And it kind of models that kind of thinking and responsibility for what you're doing, which helps you mature as a physician earlier. The other thing that it does is it puts us in a long-term relationship with preceptors, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And it puts you in a long-term relationship with patients. So instead of seeing one patient present to the surgeon with a gallbladder attack and knowing that he's going to eventually have surgery and that happens in a block rotation sure in a integrated clerkship i can see that person that patient in the surgery clinic and i can go to the surgery with him and scrub in oh. and i can take care of him post-operatively in the hospital and i can see him in the office until he's discharged so i understand the whole arc of care mm -hmm. Right. Which gives you yeah. a totally different perspective on what the patients are going through and leads you to be a more, I'm going to say, humanistic physician. Mm -hmm. 
and we know this from looking at um, research studies of integrated clerkships, is that students that come out of that background are more patient-centered, gotcha. more humanistic, gotcha. and they actually have less burnout than doctors are trained the more traditional oh, that's great. way. That's yeah, great. so that was cool. So when I learned, when I started reading about this, um, I was like, huh, this is cool. You know, it's, this is worth a shot. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. So, so then the other thing we do too is when you're doing these rotations, especially here, it was like, okay, we don't have enough spots in Wausau proper to handle mm-hmm. all the students' rotations. So we're going to have to send our students over the north half of the state. Gotcha. So what we had to do was to find sites that would host a student, not just for one rotation, but for that whole bunch mm-hmm. of rotations. So what we essentially did was to send students out to a location and they would do all of their clerkship training in that one place. It gotcha. was almost like an apprenticeship. So I'd send somebody yeah. to Wisconsin Rapids and I'd say, you know, Dr. Dr. Falk, will you take this person this person for their pediatrics? You know, and Dr. Esser, will you take them for their surgery? You know, and Dr. Dickman, will you take them for their family medicine rotation? Mm-hmm. And so they would have essentially one main person that they would keep on coming back to and develop a long-term relationship, see the same patients and do that over time. Plus they'd always be in the same place. So they knew the emergency room staff, they knew how to get to the ER, they knew how to get to the radiology department. They knew, you know, they knew where everything, all the resources were. So it became a part of that system, right? I was just going to say more Instead of a visitor. How system kind of, you know, team building, getting a touch. Yeah everything experience a real real practice like you play approach that's really great yeah, I, yeah. Know, and yeah. then the other thing was that it allowed you to take advantage of the learning opportunities so mm-hmm. is it true that in a small community hospital you might not, not see all of the very complicated cases or the volume that you would see at the milwaukee campus yes but do medical students need to see that nope okay they need to see a basic number and style of cases they need to learn to apply the knowledge that they've been given and learn how to do the clinical reasoning in order to take care of their patients they don't need the volume and they don't need the the complexity that they need in residency right gotcha we need to learn basics sound basics and develop physicians who are going to truly keep the patients at the center of what they're going to do in their future. So this whole situation lines up where, great, I'm essentially sending you to a place. I'm giving you like a, putting me like an apprenticeship model. And I'm giving yeah. you a person where you're going to be the only learner with this person. You're going to learn right at their elbow. So you're going to be there at the beginning. You're yeah. not going to be at the end of this, this um, pyramid where by the time you get to see the patient, everybody's already gotten the story. They already know what the problem is. They've already figured out how to take care of it and treat it before you even got in the door to talk to them. No, no, no. You're going to be there at the beginning and yeah. learn how to reason through it. Um, so that that was one beauty of it. The other right. beauty of it is they all everybody knows you're on campus, and so if something really cool comes in, like I'm in pediatrics, okay. but the surgeon gets notified there's been a big car crash, and so they're having a mass trauma come into the ER. They can call me and say, "Hey, mass trauma in the ER, can you come?" And I yeah. can say, "Yes, I can." Right. And boom, I'm down now. I'm down there taking advantage of this learning opportunity that came up. So it allows us this um, this uh, learning that's just in time learning, you know, yeah, um, take yeah. advantage of what's there, you know, and learn from it. So there's a lot of really cool things that happen as a result of this, which and I, as I've now watched several years of mm-hmm. students go through this and move on successfully into residency, I'm uh, very convinced that this is a solid method of uh, learning. 
Yeah, for some reason, the analogy of learning to ride a bike when you talked about the residency and, and you know, is just for some reason popped in my head. I'm like, yeah, you know, you got to start out with the training wheels and scaffolding, right, is right. Kind of what we're touching on. And right. getting to that point where then when you get to residency, that's when you can kind of start to learn all the real tricks, so to speak, in terms of what mm-hmm. intricacies might be involved in doing a yeah. wheelie, if you will. So that's a really, yeah. that's yeah, fascinating. Yeah. No, that's, yeah, that's exactly, that's exactly right. it. It was great because we had to develop all of these sites. We had to reach out to the sites and explain this foreign idea to them because okay. nobody has trained like this, right? This is okay. total, total opposite of how wow. all the physicians were trained in medical school. So most of them would kind of look like at look at you like you were crazy. Their, their schema a is, planet. is yeah, their schema is completely different, right? Completely yeah. different. Um, yeah. But um, so we went around and we did a lot of face-to-face meetings and I was able to leverage contacts that I had at least that helped us get foot in the door because I knew so-and-so sure. you know, up here. Sure. Um, so we were able to uh, capitalize on that. And I also knew something about the healthcare systems in the area, having worked in many of them um, at one time or another right. and was able to... Um, approach the people we thought were going to be good partners for us so that that past past work life of mine uh came in very handy it was it was kind of like everything that that happened in my past practice life was pointing me towards this experience beautiful Um, which yeah which also fit in with my like i'm nearing the end of my career i know Mm. a lot of stuff I don't want it just to fade away with me. I want to share it with somebody else. And this opportunity also gave me the point to create something lasting with that. And also to be in a position where I could teach medical students and hopefully share some of that knowledge and pass it on instead of just, you know, walking away into the sunset. So, well, we're we're glad you definitely made the choices you've made to be with us. That's for sure. And and I think great point you bring up about just retirement in general of professionals right is that we often just kind of think well they're done you know or or but the wisdom of all that experience Mm -hmm. and another thing we talk about at the current institute is this idea of practical wisdom in particular but you know just having the wisdom to just discern what is a good decision how to to be good with the decisions that you make and and kind of back to your point about burnout, right? Being able to avoid burnout from the the moral challenges that physicians are faced with a day in and day out. And I got to think mm-hmm. there is some experience going on with the morality of the profession through this um, uh, you know, integrated process. So that's great. So yeah. you kind of touched on some of the challenges and the successes, um, but are there ones like, because there's a specific challenge that, that you would say is, is one that just kind of keeps rearing its head, and and, and there's is there's and then it's a, conversely a success that just keeps going. Yeah, we got it again, kind of thing. Yeah. I think the most difficult challenge is that there are a lot of clinicians practicing in rural areas who really are interested and would like to have students with them. Okay, but the constraints of their practice don't allow it. Gotcha. Um, some of the systems, healthcare systems, aren't making it easy for them to gotcha. make room, right? They gotcha. have, you have to see X number of patients per hour. You have, you know, you're seeing a patient every 12 minutes, especially some of the ones who are very conscientious feel like, mm-hmm. I can't do it. I can't do them justice. You know, I can't right. do them justice. Sure. So therefore, I'm not going to teach because I can't do it well. Um, okay. So that that's a big thing is that we have a lot of people who want to teach and depending on where you're working it 
they may not be able to do it. Or if they do it, they may take a big, you know, cut in their salary because it decreases their productivity, or they take the cut in the fact that now I've just increased the length of my day by an hour. And so I have less time at home with my family. So it's a tough place for many of them to be. Um, some of the healthcare systems have helped out with that and have actually stepped up and have started to t- pay their physicians for teaching, right? But it's yeah. only, it's it's kind of like a token payment. It doesn't really make up for the true investment of their, their time. Yeah. But I think uh, some of the um, issues that in base rural healthcare here are just the workforce issues, you know, getting people mm. to stay. And I think some of these, um, the healthcare systems here have realized, and this is a secondary benefit to them of the mm-hmm. LIC concept. I'm essentially giving them someone who has already said, I want to probably practice in a rural area and gotcha. I'm going to embed them in their system for a year, give them a really good chance to see what they're all about, give you a really good chance to see what they're all about. And hopefully there's going to be some marriages that take place at the end yeah. of this, you know, like, right. you're, you know, we want you, you know, yeah. we want you, you know, yeah. um, when you come back from residency, we want you here. We want you with us. And it's, you know, it's a good fit because you've been working with each other for so long. Right. So yeah. that's one of the cool things that comes out of this. And some of the systems have now realized there is a reason for us to allow our physicians to have medical students and it's recruiting. So it sounds like because recruiting is otherwise really expensive and this is more likely to work. So that sounds like that's like uh, one of the big successes kind of it's the, the aha moment that organizations are having around this mm-hmm. program that you've been developing. That's right. That's great. Yep. And then of course we have our Aspirus has your scholars program too. We, they've also, again, Aspirus has really kind of figured out some key benefits of us being in the community, right? So yeah. now every year they have four or five students who they reach out to and say, hey, in exchange for you agreeing to come work with us for X number of years after residency, we're going to pay for your medical school. Want to sign up? Yeah. <laughs> you know? And so like, what a great, wait, they already have over a hundred years of physician time signed. Wow. Holy buckets. Can you imagine that? That's amazing. What that's worth? Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. So there's great benefits to the community for us being here too and um, helping the, the the healthcare systems realize yes. and leverage that also kind of trickles down and will help us getting stu- getting students in their systems. But it still is a challenge, right? Because the healthcare systems are focused on trying to, you know, stay in the black and, and, and uh, we're not their main reason for being. The, right. the days, the the daily oh. ins and outs of getting things done, and indeed, it's it's a challenge, and mm-hmm. so it's, it's, it's a balance. A yeah, it's a balance or a phrase. I, I, you have me curious, and you know, comparing what you're helping these emerging physicians experience to your own educational experience in medicine, what's like this the biggest thing that you're just amazed by then versus now, kind of thing? Um, you know, the one thing that that surprises me is that. When I was in medical school, which was a long time ago, you still had this feeling, and that was like before the internet, that's how long it was, okay? So we had textbooks, and you actually had to go to lectures to get the information, because if you weren't there, you couldn't watch the recording, right? So it's a totally different paradigm of learning. And I think one of the things that um, really hits me is the, the difference in the in the paradigm. I think the this the students now are able to much earlier in their career, get out there and actually see and interact with patients. Okay. Whereas okay. we had really almost 
almost a full two years of basic science sitting in the classroom before we started getting into that kind of stuff, right? So uh, that's very different. And I see the students developing and their skills, uh, their clinical skills a little more quickly Mm -hmm. um, than I did. Yeah. And I just see them having to deal with different issues that I never did. Like you still had the illusion when I was in medical school that you could wrap your arms around most of the medical knowledge that you needed. And now that's not even possible. Right. Yeah. You can't. can't. So you have to figure out how to deal with all of that explosion of knowledge, the access to the materials now online. Um, I don't not sure if any students actually ever buy textbooks anymore, whereas our office used to be lined with sure. textbooks because that's how you you figured out what to do you came back and you reference them and you don't do that anymore right. so the the that's a very stark contrast and the amount of knowledge required although some of the, the basic principles still stay the same you know sure and, and indeed indeed yeah things have definitely changed even in education in general uh i too see that same kind of transition where it's it's what's available to me in, in the immediate field that I'm existing in uh, rather than, you know, those resources that maybe require going to the library or something along those lines. Um, but it's definitely the internet and all the technology has definitely changed how we approach education. That's for mm-hmm. sure. So, yeah. so, um, you know, thinking back about all your experiences, all your years and, and such, you know, if, someone was interested in becoming a an educator in the medical field or even helping establish a campus like you did, what might be two take-home messages you'd want the audience to know about medical education on a more rural campus? The main thing was that there was a lot of opportunity just to figure out how to do it and make it happen. Okay. You know, like in, in, my, in our case with the new campus, there were not a lot of things in place already. And I actually didn't have any education experience, right? So I had to rely on the the, the deans to be saying, no, you, you need to do this. You know, yeah. as you're developing this, make sure you're paying attention to the fact that, oh, we have learning objectives that have to be the same across all the campuses or else the LCME, which is our accrediting body, which I had never mm-hmm. even heard the, the initials before, right. will not be happy. Right. It's like, oh, Okay. So uh, I guess the thing you have to learn to maneuver within the medical education community and on a rural campus, that's sometimes a little bit more difficult because you're not surrounded by all these people who have chosen medical education as a career and have been immersed in this for their Mm -hmm. whole life. So there's a certain amount of learning involved, but there's a difference between what I know clinically Mm -hmm. and things that we need to fulfill because of the medical education mission and needing to make sure that students get what they need so they can um, be successful in taking their licensing exams and getting to good residencies. And, you know, so there's a lot more than just um, how effectively I can share my experiences. I have a duty to them that goes beyond that. And I have to learn that and make sure I understand what's covered on the exams and how do they make sure they get all that material that's covered on that exam? Because I don't have the same resource set that they have in Milwaukee, Mm -hmm. right? So like, and also because of the integrated clerkship where my students are all over the North half of the state, I can't come, have them come back every Wednesday for lectures, you know, for learning sessions. Right. We used to try to do that virtually when we first started and that was a miserable failure. Um, (laughs) So then a lot of lessons learned, I'm sure a lot of lessons learned. So then we started bringing the students back periodically for a week of concentrated didactics. And because the one thing we also learned from this was that students um, got to be very close on this campus. There's only 20 of them in a class. 
They are extremely close and depend on each other and are used to having each other around. And when we split them up and put them all over mm. the north half of the state, in some cases, they lost their support system. So they're bringing yeah. them back periodically to campus was very good for their psychological health or mental health, Indeed, as well as learning new things because they needed yeah. to just get together and see each other and be able to talk and share yeah. and debrief kind of, uh, you know, amongst themselves. So that was a key yeah. learning thing there. Sure. Now I think I've gotten myself off track. Did I answer uh, your question? I think you're right on track. I think it all okay. is just so relevant. You, you know, I'd love to pick your brain for hours and hours because I'm just sure there's so much there that we haven't even touched on. But I mean, I, so what I heard you say is that, you know, there's the challenges of managing the psychosocial aspects and in the the in the, the the practical responsibilities uh, when when inviting students to come to a smaller campus. Uh, just curious a little bit more about that. The, you mentioned the the idea of there wasn't a, like a, it sounded like there wasn't a lot of barriers either, though. When you were kind of you said there was you had more. It sounded like a little bit more freedom to to do what you needed to do. So that's kind of freedom to go and do what I need to do, and that was good because that's yeah. the kind of startup I like. Right? I don't right. like all the constraints, yeah. and I also like it when someone trusts me enough to know to to know that I will come and ask you when I need help but I don't need somebody to micromanage me and tell me what all the steps are. I just need yeah. you to tell me where you want me to go right. and what the important things are that I need to know about getting there and what resources I have. And then let me run and ask for help. I, that's what, that's how I like to, to work. And this is Beautiful. a perfect setup for me as far as that went. Beautiful. Beautiful. Um, yeah. So, well, that's, that's just, I think some great points to, to end on here. And uh, you know, I think, it will give other people an opportunity to to go and explore and, and, yeah. and do the things they want to do too. And, and so I really appreciate the time you've taken with us today. Can't thank you enough. You know, maybe, uh, maybe you'll be sitting on a beach here in a few months and uh, contemplating again. I would know. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. No, I'm sure that I will be back doing a little bit of uh, just, just plain old teaching just for, oh, okay. for fun uh, here and there. Uh, it'll be too hard to walk away from the, from the students and all the, the uh, relationships I formed here on campus. That is awesome, Emma. Well, thank you again for your time. Thanks, Jeff. Today, we have the great pleasure of not being only joined by Dr. Anita Bublik-Anderson. Hello. <laughs> Anita, but also mm -hmm. Dr. Michelle Montgomery. Welcome, Michelle. Thank you very much, and thanks for having me. Michelle, we just are really curious today about how you got into medicine, you know, what your journey was to getting uh, your degree and uh, how that led you in, in, to the MCW, Central Wisconsin campus and what kind of roles you have going on now and just what that all means for being a medical educator. So, so yeah, where did, what, uh, where's your story start? Well, I've had an interesting journey. I grew up in Manhattan and uh, I took the subway everywhere, if not the subway, the bus. And we were doing that from the age of 10 onwards, at least. At, you know. wow. And it was a very urban upbringing. And although we were in the center of culture, it was pretty overwhelming. New York City in the late 60s and early 70s was pretty dangerous and it was it was scary to be a kid there gotcha. and I always wanted to live in the country so when I went to college I went to Middlebury College in mm. Vermont and then I really enjoyed that lifestyle and I also like volunteered at a hospital there and that was a okay. very rural hospital and it was just interesting to to experience that 
then when I was done with college, I ended up going to Columbia University School of Nursing because they had a two-year program to get your bachelor's in nursing. Okay. And I wanted to go back to Vermont to be a nurse because I'd worked with visiting nurse while I was there. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. So then I I nursed in New York City for just four months because then I married my husband. Moved to Canada the next day. The next day after <laughs> next you got married? After the wedding. Oh, what a turnaround. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Canada. I know you're, she's right. blowing my mind right now because first off, visiting nurse association. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I worked for them for a while too. So we're going to have to have a, a side conversation oh, about yeah, this. Oh yeah, that was yeah. very interesting. And nurses there did a lot. Like the yes. head nurse of the clinic did most of the peds exams. They had a consulting pediatrician. But you know, if you're very bright, it, you can do a lot. So Manhattan to, to Canada. where in Canada did you end up? Was it a country place like you dreamed? Not really. My husband was doing his PhD at the University of Waterloo. And Waterloo yeah. back then was about 35,000. Where's Waterloo? It's northwest of Toronto. Northwest of Toronto. But it's still further south than we are here. No kidding. Yeah. Hmm. So it's it's uh, it was I mean, it was cold, of course. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> and then I couldn't get a job there because... No one really cared that Columbia University was an Ivy League school. And so I had to go to Toronto to get a job. Okay. And I ended up working at the hospital for sick children in pediatric hematology oncology. Whoa. And yeah. what year is this? 1980 to 90. Okay. Or 81 to 85. So things had really turned around in that field in oh, incredibly. Like 20, year, 20 years before you started working there. There was actually more effective treatments right. in the 80s than right. there were in the 70s. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It was very tragic, though, really, because... That's when HIV was just mm-hmm. coming around and they were just starting to identify it and the problem, or maybe not yet at that point, but a lot of the kids got AIDS from the blood transfusions blood and the bone marrow transplants. But anyway, I think it was the most emotionally challenging time in my life in terms of work. It's been all through my career, of course, being a physician, but the, that was the most intense And then um, I had my first daughter. I stayed at home for 17 months. And then I started at McMaster University School of Medicine because I'd always wanted to be a doctor. Okay. So you had a baby and applied Mm -hmm. to medical school at the same time. Right. And then with a 17-month-old, you started your medical training. Yes. Okay, then. Yeah. So that was hard. (laughs) In a new country. In a new country. I remember the daycare (laughs) saying... Poor Katie, that she seemed sullen. And I thought, well, no wonder. I've, I've shipped her <laughs> off to daycare with a little attache case, you know, she's got to go and. Right, uh, right. Operate. Wow. Um, so, so you went to medical school in Canada. Yeah. Yeah. And the day I got into medical school, my husband, that's the day he graduated with his PhD. Oh, wow. So he was walking down the aisle and I went thumbs up. (laughs) That was it. So yeah, McMaster was way ahead of its time. It started the small group learning, problem-based learning that that everyone's trying to initiate now or has recently done so. It went okay. from McMaster to Johns Hopkins and, mm-hmm. and to Harvard, their Pathways program. So it was a very um, exciting way to learn. It suited me perfectly. I'm much better at that kind of learning. Um, and I, so I did well. And, and of course, I wanted to do family medicine because I wanted to be flexible because 
I wanted to follow my husband in whatever his sure. or his job led him. Sure. And I, to be honest, I still don't think it wasn't a mistake. I mean, I think you go through life, you have to compromise. I mean, I don't think it was anything to do with women's lib, really. It was just two people together have to make decisions. Trying to make it work with the family. Try to make yeah. it work. But in any event, I did two years of residency at McMaster, and that's all it took to be a family doctor. But mm. then I... Keith got a job here in water and sorry in um Wausau at UWMC teaching geography. Right. So we moved here. I went to a barn party. Talk about being okay. a barn unity party. Okay. <laughs> what happens at a barn party anyway? Well, I got asked if I wanted to do a third year of of family medicine residency in Wausau, which they had a program here like 30 years ago. It was amazing. Wausau always seems to be a center of innovation in many cool. ways. So anyway, so then I did that for a year, which was good. And then I um, started working at a small um, private clinic called Family Health Specialists. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And that was what year? So that would have been in 91. I started the two years, the, sorry, the extra year of residency. And I really loved it because I got to do full spectrum family medicine. So I did obstetrics and delivered lots of babies. And then you got to keep the babies because they didn't all go to, there weren't a lot of pediatricians. Mm. And then I did hospital admissions at night. So I knew all the ER doctors and I took care of patients in the hospital. Gotcha. So needless to say, neither of my daughters went into medicine. Yeah, no. so so the ex I'm really interested in that extra year. So there's a family practice residency here in Wausau. Are you referring to that uh -huh. same one that's yes. open today? Yeah. That's Aspirus Family Medicine. Right. Residency. And it was always a three-year program. Right. So family medicine training is three years in the United States. In Canada, it's two? Is it's, it no, two? it's three. It's now. three now? Yeah, but it was two. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. And then, um, so they took you on as like a, like a 30 year resident and, and uh, was it a UW? Was it a UW residency? Yes, it was time? through the University of Wisconsin. Okay. Centered in Madison. Yeah. So you finished your training locally. Yeah, that's really, yeah. and then I knew all the doctors. And you knew everybody. Right. Because in those days, and still today, I think, you know, in a small medical community, you get to know a lot of people, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. you do your patients, you have your patients, but you often need consultations, of course, you know, so you're always calling people. And especially when you worked in the hospital, you got to know a lot of the consultants. Now, this is all sort of changed now, because if you go to the hospital, you're apt to have a PA, you sure. may not ever see the consultant. I mean, obviously, hmm. the patient is being cared for by them mm -hmm. and by charge, the team. But as a family doctor, uh, you might speak to them on the phone, but you wouldn't see them as much. Gradually, everything did change. You know, the the way people practice changed. So that's pretty much when I also stopped doing hospital medicine. Gotcha. And then I kept doing OB until about uh, six years ago. Okay. Yeah. And then, and then, then that's when you transitioned to the central then Wisconsin. I retired um, oh. four years later in May of 2020. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. And then I've always took students through my office Okay. and worked with students in the hospital, more residents, I should say, because the med school wasn't here mm -hmm. until three years, 2014, 2014. 2014. Yeah. yeah. Right. So I think my training in Canada, actually half the class of 100 people went into family medicine. Is that right? Yeah, half the wow. class. 
Wow. And they really trained you to be a full spectrum physician. Like it was an urban training. Like when you did gotcha. a month of plastic surgery, you were with the plastic surgeons. You did a, like eight weeks of ICU. You were in the ICU. It was very arduous, but it was very broad spectrum. Mm-hmm. So gotcha. it's very helpful. So, so when you landed here in Wausau, it, it felt, I mean, a little further north from where you were at McMaster mm-hmm. in Canada, but did it feel like a familiar sort of environment for you? I mean, did they have barn parties where you were in <laughs> Canada? I mean, you yeah. don't have barn parties in Manhattan. No, you don't. And Waterloo, Ontario was the countryside. Mm-hmm. Like they'd go on treasure hunts through the through the countryside and you stop these little inns. So actually coming here wasn't a big shock because even the geography is mm-hmm. similar. Mm-hmm. You've got the, um, well, I can't remember the name of the ridge of mountains that comes over the Ontario and comes down into this area, but yeah. I can't remember. Good but question for event, Keith. <laughs> yeah, really. He He's the geography <laughs> he But um so it wasn't, it was pretty similar in a lot of ways. Sure. And I, I liked that. Um, yeah. So what, so tell us a little bit about your roles and at, at CW now, and we can yeah. start thinking about what you've experienced and what that means for your roles right now. So, so what are, fill us in, what are you, what do you got going on? Right, right. Well, keep in mind, I always took students in my office. So I sort of knew what they were doing because they would come with sort of a game plan. And before that, I had residents in the office, but I really enjoyed the med students. So then when I retired, I really looked forward to having a bigger role here. And so my first role was as a coach. And so they divide the, uh, well, first year med and second year med students into groups and you, you coach them. I think it was more of the second year when we started. Gotcha. And um, and the, that's more of a supportive position. You've okay. got like seven students that uh, get to know each other because you meet in groups and discuss how they're doing or what their worries are or how sure. what, what's on their mind. And then I would also take them out for breakfast or lunch on an individual basis. Gotcha. And then you get to talk more about their thoughts. What are they thinking about for the future? How are they moving towards their goals and then i i really like to teach so i started doing clinical skills mostly so just out of curiosity did you, when you were listening to their 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 worries their concerns their ambitions did you see a lot of yourself sitting there too was i mean or do you think the worries have changed since you were in medical school and just kind of made me curious there about yeah, I, I think I was too busy to worry, honestly. Okay. <laughs> so I I, right. I relate to it, I understand it, and right. I, I appreciate it. But frankly, I mean, I didn't have that luxury in some ways. It's, gotcha. gotcha. You'd either crash and burn or you'd keep moving. Mm-hmm. And it's unfortunate. That's why this is such a good program, because medical students come into med school at one level of mental health, and they leave generally at a lower level of mental yeah. health. So anything you can do to help that is really um, important. So you were able to get in with that by doing the coaching and and what have you, and that's led you to now the the teaching. Gotcha. Yeah. And And I, I always feel that my education in med school where everything was like this small group learning, um, problem-based learning that you could always find the answer, you know, you, I mean, you can look things up. And that sure. is what 
my man- mantras because that's when my father worked for the post office. If you'd ever ask him a question, you say, "Look it up." Look it up. <laughs> right. So it's right. it's there to be found, and I think that part of the anxiety that a lot of med students have, I try to relieve that a little bit by saying this is not the first, this may be the first time you you learn something, but it won't be the last, you know, you'll learn it in all different contexts and you will eventually it'll be part of you. So you, you don't really need to worry as much. Gotcha. So what, uh, what types of teaching do you have going on right now on the campus? Really clinical skills. Okay. Like we did ENT last week, this week we're doing neuro. So all the cranial nerves, you have to remember, all, well, you, you know, you relearn yeah. everything. Yeah. Right. And I enjoy that. So So it sounds like you learn right along with the students as opposed to, I mean, it, it doesn't sound like you expect a hierarchy. There's this, we're all learners. Some of us are relearning things. Some of us are learning them fresh. So that sounds like that's been an asset to you and working you yeah, know, on yeah. a small campus like this with just, you know, 20 students or whatever. Yeah, I think there was an article, I think, just in the recent JAMA about about that when you're an older faculty member and you've got new young students learning things that you never even heard of, mm-hmm. you have to be humble and you have to learn alongside of them. Of course, I prepare for the sessions and they're very well, well marked out, like they pretty much tell you what you have to teach, mm-hmm. but it's still how you present the information too. Right on. I'm seeing a lot of sort of patterns here because where you were in in your training, you had small group learning, you were and then your experiences here in Wasa as a, a young physician, mm-hmm. that there was a lot of small group interaction between specialties and more community. And here we have a small campus reinforcement of that pattern of like what you experienced a met early medical learner mm-hmm. and building relationship and support. Like it, it seems like these are, these are skills and like f- and familiarity that, you know, is, is sort of like following you. Yeah, I think so. It's almost like coming full circle really, mm. you know, because right. I, well, I grew up in the New York city public school system where you were just one of many Mm-hmm. And then my high school, I was one of 888 in my class. Wow, that's a big class. That is a big class. And then I went to Middlebury. There were only 1,200 students. But I still, you know, it was pretty overwhelming coming from the city. You're right. Gradually, actually, it's all honed down to yeah. smaller and smaller groups. And and, and it, it is true that the collegial relationships I had with physicians when I was practicing um, were one of the best parts of the whole thing, you know, mm-hmm. because because so many of the physicians were also uh, self-learn- self-taught learners in some mm-hmm. way. I mean, they're not in a big urban setting. They, they were more self-motivated. I, I shouldn't say more, but they were right. very self-motivated to do the best they possibly could. It kind of touches on your point, I think, when you said how intensive it was to experience all the various attributes and the, you know the specialties of being a physician i think you were mentioning in, when you were in toronto um and that's something that got brought up when we talked with dr alan schumann too about what's necessary for emergent physicians to experience in terms of developing clinical skills and what can kind of be oh maybe pushed off a little bit later that might be more about a specialty so when you when you think about you know getting students out into the clinical experience, 
are there key foundational clinical experiences that, that you think are just, you know, everyone should have versus say have a breadth of all these different kind of specialty experiences? If that's making, making any sense in terms of my question. Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, that's one reason rotating through family medicine is so important because it's not a part of the piece of the patient that's yours. It, the whole patient is yours. And you have, as a student, you have the opportunity to do your complete exams. Like you should be doing as much as possible. I don't think people all understand that, you know, you can be, a, you're a specialist and you specialize in an area and that is very, very valuable. But as a family physician, you sort of have to have a lot of the the red flags in the front of your mind when you see a patient for the first time. You're sort of like, it's like you're given a surprise package or you're at the first page of a mystery. Mm-hmm. You have to have a broad range of interest because you have to have a broad range of knowledge. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not an expert, but you have to understand that you you are you're pivotal in terms of how the course of this patient's medical care goes. So it's a big responsibility. Gotcha. I wonder if there's being a not an expert, but knowing mm-hmm. enough to steer and identify um, what some of those potential red flags are, but also to take care holistically of the patient mm-hmm. requires a degree of of like confidence in your ability to look it up to mm-hmm. um not have the answer and have confidence to know when you there it's a re, it's a reasonable enough like assumption that you're going with that you're going to be taking care of the problem that's in front of you right. and like when to refer on like that's a real that that takes a I don't know like a sense of maturity and of of knowing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was so fortunate because because Wausau it, it is still more of a rural community. I mean, knowing your consult, knowing the consultants where you could just lift up the phone. Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing that anyone has ever said to me is, and it's a few more than one physician has said, "Call me if you ever need me." Mm. You know, because sometimes people are afraid to call someone and they don't Mm -hmm. have the confidence. But if you line up your ducks in a row, and you know who you're going to call for what problem, um, it's very helpful. Yeah. So you're building trust, you're building trust. Mm -hmm. And and the other thing is that then it becomes more of a team effort looking after the patient. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you keep seeing a patient through their course of a very difficult illness. Sometimes you don't everyone it's all on an individual basis but it was very challenging I'm glad I did it but now I'm glad I'm teaching and less stressful environment yes in some ways it seems like the small group learning is really just uh it's like a the case you know the patient in front of you is like the center of a small group at all times mm-hmm. where there's like maybe the person sitting next to you in the, you know, in the classroom as a medical student, they're going to go into plastics or ENT or something mm-hmm. or neurology or family medicine, but you're all there working together to try to solve the mystery. Right. Right. And, and all of, and, and all of the structure of learning in medicine is pretty similar. That's what students learn here. How do you do a history? Mm-hmm. How do you do a physical exam? What are your what are your first thoughts? What? How do you throw a broad net in terms of all the things it could be? Like they're that's how they start out, and then mm-hmm. they leave here and they go do a residency, and that's where they learn to sort of hone in and focus. Especially if they do pick something mm-hmm. like plastics or um, 
well, general surgery, of course. Sure. It's all, it's, it's really interesting. And it's such a journey really, isn't it? For the yeah. med students when they start out, if they know nothing. <laughs> so it seems like we're in a, we're just a little microcosm of a small community. Like, mm-hmm. uh, like what, so you said Wausau, you know, 20, 30 years ago was more rural than it, than it is today. Can you, t- can you say more about like what, as somebody who's lived in various, I mean, very urban and different countries and different environments, like what is rural? <laughs> I, I always think about that. What is rural now? I yeah. Mean, what is rural? Now you can be up north and you, you might get sick and get transferred maybe to Rhinelander or Eagle River, but then you can be airlifted down here mm-hmm. and get what's called tertiary care, which mm-hmm. is very expert care. If there is, if it goes beyond that, then you can be flown to Madison mm-hmm. and for very, very high level care, high right? Level. Yeah. When someone's very sick. So if you have that structure of how you're going to deal with sick people, no matter where they are in the state, everyone can get a certain level of care. Of course it is. I think if you live way up North, yeah, the travel times are longer. Yeah. Maybe the doc, that's why the medical school exists really is to try to get good physicians scattered through a rural area that they can know how to, how to treat patients and when to refer them mm-hmm. right so it's you know in a similar way when you're educating you know there's this kind of autodidactic process that we touched on in being a physician right like you got you know learn on your own a lot of the time did you come into this role that you're in now with some experience in, in educating or was this another kind of learn on the fly lean on my colleagues ask for help kind of stuff and how did you develop your educational skills so to speak well i really have always liked teaching so like yeah. when i was a resident i you know you could teach the younger residents the interns and then I always had residents in the hospital that I worked with. And and so I, I don't feel like it was really new to me, okay. maybe on some level, yes. And so it's been really helpful having all of the help from Milwaukee and from uh, doctors here at the school to sort of direct how how they want things to go. I mean, have you noticed any challenges for yourself personally and or, and successes that days were wow? I just felt like everyone was really learning today. That went well. Then there's those days where it's like, well, that didn't necessarily go as planned. I mean, has there been moments where you've really gain something from those types of experiences that you'd want to share? Yeah, I mean, I think it's sometimes it is hard if you've got a lot of information to relay. And if the students are getting overwhelmed, then you sort of know you're doing too much in a a session. So that can happen. Gotcha. Um, So just learning how to figure out what's really important and what what is can be done late at a later time, I guess. Yeah. yeah so it's staged properly and nobody's, yeah. nobody's gla- glazing over and checking out. <laughs> right. And and yeah. you have to be aware of that. I guess that's a whole new experience for me. Yeah. Just mm-hmm. trying to take the pulse of the Right. <laughs> right. Well, certainly, I mean, you don't always get to choose what's walking through the door when you're in practice. Like it could be all kinds of everything. Um, you don't really get to control the the volume of yeah. uh, how it comes at you either. Yeah. So that seems, but still, you know, how do you, I don't know how you teach that. Yeah. I mean, it, it can be overwhelming, you know, on many levels being a physician. 
I think Anita's right. Like you walk into a room with a patient when you're actually a physician and it's very sacred. The You know, it's a mm. relationship that's unique. But yeah, sometimes you'll get overloaded by all of the concerns mm. and problems. And, and yeah, you do have to learn how to direct and direct that that can that can be painful for everyone right <laughs> learning how to do that you don't know how to do it really until you have to start mm-hmm. start well, doing it yeah and it's, we talk a lot about character at the current institute and in and, and that's kind of uh, part of our good doctor thread and in, in the new curriculum that we're developing and i hear a lot of character in your story and you know humbleness right being able to say hey i don't have the answer for this who can i reach out to um so that's that's a lot of what it seems like is the theme today in terms of you don't always know the answers and when there's a lot of information being able to say oh this is a lot of information and just take those take those timeouts kind of thing is and it sounds like you've kind of just done that a lot throughout your life and as a physician and especially in a rural area where like you said earlier we don't really have all the necessary resources all the experts that you might need to be able to reach out to but you have a you have a team so is that something that you try to instill when you're when you're working with students to say, hey, this is a team effort? Um, yeah, I think, you know, it's funny you talk about humility. And I think I think a doctor has to be very and you have to teach this to students. Right. Be honest with your patient. Like, mm-hmm. don't break bad news unless you have a plan. Things like it would seem so obvious, but you know, if you talk to your friends or relatives, that kind of thing can happen all the time. So on an individual basis, you have to take on responsibility to say, "I'm always going to have a plan," or "I'm." And, and you, gotcha. these things you can teach, but it's a right. painful awakening if you've never thought about this when you first start practicing. Mm-hmm. So, so there's so much you can try to help medical students um, understand about how to have a relationship gotcha. with a person. Yeah, gotcha. and building your building your team, knowing your people, like choosing mm-hmm. wisely in that respect too. So that when mm-hmm. you have a question, when you need help, that that you you can form those relationships and be able to, to phone a friend. Yeah. You know, to get the help that right. that you can identify that you need. Your lifeline. Right. Your lifeline. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Indeed. Those are those are those are critical in many, many ways, right? Um Yeah. And I think you have to know your limitations too. Mm-hmm. Like you may not be someone who can see 25 people every day that you practice. That's a lot, by the but, way. But a lot of people <laughs> for them, they're comfortable with that. But right. individual physicians, it's different. And every student is different. That's mm-hmm. what's that's what's so good about small group learning. Yeah. And preparing if they're gonna hopefully work in a rural area, that gotcha. they will continue to be small. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we, mm-hmm. we mentioned in teams here, and, and I think when Anita and I came to you and about doing this interview, there you, you're you sit on a board or, or you're a director of something of is that oh, I'm on the executive committee of the local Marathon County Medical Society and past yeah. president and then I'm just started being on the Wisconsin Medical Society executive committee gotcha. so that's another new start wow so yeah. you have lots of hats oh a lot of hats yeah and what would be the role of the executive committee of these organizations like um as far as do you work with like promoting the area supporting the workforce or like identifying like needs or gaps like yeah the marathon well the, the medical society's goals in both cases are to support physicians 
and and patience. So um, the 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 big board and the Wisconsin Medical Society out of Madison does a lot with policy mm-hmm. and trying to influence government to make wise health decisions. Mm. They have a lobbyist, which is is very helpful. I mean, mm-hmm. they have a whole large structure. Locally, we are all up until recently all very busy practicing physicians. So it's more a case of how we can help other physicians, Mm. like having social events is Mm -hmm. one. And then we have, we give scholarships and then we have um, made some efforts uh, influencing decision-making around child abuse and uh, yeah, promoting COVID immunizations, which by in the fall, gotcha. last fall as much gotcha. as- so are you seeing some opportunity for then overlapping what's happening or what your roles are then on the campus and then what you're wanting to achieve with these organizations? Um, I think in the scholarship realm, yes. Um, we support the white coat. We have supported the white coat event, which is okay. when the first year students get coded. Right. That's sort of their entrance into being. Well, we never, we didn't have that ceremony when I mm. was a student. The white coat is just symbolic of entrance. And it's like, you're so proud to wear it. Like it's an emblem of just all of your hard work. And then it's like your uniform when you encounter patients, even like standardized patients. And it's like an event. It's just like, a, it's a very moving it takes me back and it's yeah. just really there's so much hope and opportunity in, in the space and like families watching it. I think it's really great. Yeah. It's That's really fun. an initiation into a new world. And mm-hmm. even right. in nurse, not even, but in nursing school, I still remember at Columbia, the capping ceremony. And you, I think you held we a candle. Little, oh, we you got, got your little cap. But okay. you're being initiated sure. into like, which, what is the most sacred, some one, uh, no, the yeah. most, but a very sacred trust and mm-hmm. uh it's very meaningful and that's why it's sort of sad that you know it, it's also fraught with stress and uh, sure sure you have to try to weather it you have to be resilient so just your so in mind yeah. the goals mm-hmm. indeed so the did you do you have other potential ideas mulling around your head? I am on the admissions committee and I see more this year, more and more applications from faraway states. And I am concerned because I don't think they all want to do rural medicine. Right. And so, and they're very, very good, but but I really think the mission of this school is important that we do want to create physicians for at least the upper Midwest, would you yeah. say? Or maybe you can expand to the whole country. I don't know. But initially it was for Wisconsin. Once you're here, once you start getting involved with the smaller communities that funnel into Wausau, as we, we talked about earlier, people appreciate what it means to be in that smaller community. And as you said, mm-hmm. developing those relationships, um, mm-hmm. I think, are, 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 is, is amazing. So what do you what would be some take a couple take home messages? Uh, you know, just thinking back about your own experience coming from a you know urban area to living in rural and you're the and, and where you did your schooling and to living in Wausau for so many years and now helping those see Wausau as their home, what might be a couple take home messages you'd want the audience to to leave with? Hmm. Well I think you sort of said it already in the sense that you have this desire, maybe a deep desire, say from childhood even, mm-hmm. um, that you know you want to 
live in the country, you know, you want to be a doctor. That's very important, you know, to, to follow your dreams. If that's what you want, you should work towards that. I think a lot of people get their, whatever their dreams or thoughts were, get changed mm-hmm. over time and people do change over time but i sometimes think people give up opportunities that they might have sought out um reasons that are not that they may regret i suppose yeah yeah i don't know right I know. so hold on to your hopes and dreams right okay yeah that's a big I like one that one <laughs> that's, yeah that's a good one to hold on to. well i think that's a good point i mean a lot of wisdom what you've been telling us today Michelle, and that's a very important aspect oh, of thank you. what we wanted to say, you know, and uh, hear and have our audience experience it because it's it is that sense of it can be done, and if it is a challenge, then there's ways of getting help, and if you also think this might not be your cup of tea, well, there's also other things that can be experienced as well, too. I mean, is what I kind of what I hear you saying, and that's. And that's awesome. Part of the burnout is, from my understanding, is people feel like they can't shift gears. They have to follow through. This is what I was always going to be, and I got to be this. So um, I really appreciate that last point about holding on to your dreams, but realize there's lots of dreams you can have, too. Good on it. Ania, was there anything, any other things you wanted to pick Michelle's brain about before we take off? No, it's just really nice to see more of you. We used to work together on labor and delivery. I would see her, um, you know, that we'd be running around doing our doing our thing so it's nice to have you on campus and to reconnect yeah and i have to say i mean delivering babies is the most it's pretty satisfying cool. thing and that's awesome. yeah and that's then awesome. to look after them and watch them grow okay let's end on this note one of the students in this med school class is a young woman that i delivered no kidding <laughs> fantastic <laughs> love so it that's what it's all about that right? is so cool yeah that's way cool, way cool. Well, we thank you so much for your time today, Michelle. Really appreciate it. Thank you for it. having me. As always, uh, Dr. Anita Bilbeck-Anderson, thank you for being with us too. You bet. All right. We'll talk to everyone soon. <laughs>